I like this because we've definitely done the thing where we've been like, all right, bring up like, you know, random D&D epic playlist on Spotify or whatever. Just in yeah, the middle. my Spotify is f- now. Yeah. And... <laughs> for the Mundangerous Thought Processor in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 222 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're delving into your innermost thoughts and talking about mind reading. But first, the rogue traders swim through corruption in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Johnny Mnemonic moves psychic cargo in the Character Creation Forge. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening to the podcast. I bet you like tabletop role-playing games. That's probably why you're listening to a podcast on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Well, did you know there's a show on this network called Tabletop Babble, where I, James Intricasso, talk to many industry greats and awesome people who play role-playing games about role-playing games it is great it's like any conversation you would have at your local friendly game store i've talked to people like mike merles one of the lead designers of fifth edition dungeons and dragons wolfgang bauer of cobalt press ruth tillman who's done a lot of awesome game design work with pelgrain press and so many others you can check it out over at don't split the podcast network.com Shane, we are quickly hurtling towards the climactic conclusion of our Band of Blades stream on Twitch. I'm going to be really sad when this campaign ends. I feel like we're going to have to have a season two once like the next arc of the like Band of Blades world is released. I'm, I'm open to that. Uh, but is everyone else open to that? I mean, if we get a certain number of followers and subscribers, maybe that would let us know that people are really interested in more. I mean, the capitalist in you is showing. Uh, yes, yes, that's true. Also, an the, avowed capitalist, I guess. The the guess. hostage taker, <laughs> the extortionist. <laughs> okay. um, I would do it for a free copy of the next book. <laughs> you know, I'm really interested to see actually if we uh, survive, because yeah. things are looking grim mm-hmm. for our company. Yeah, I mean, you are you were getting ever closer to sky dagger keep, but the real question is not, will you make it? The question is, will you make it and get it ready to defend, uh, in time? Right. Or will it simply be, uh, overwhelmed and swarmed by the hordes of the undead? Exactly. And at what cost? Uh, I guess there's only one way to find out. I guess you'll have to listen to stream of blades Wednesday nights at 7 PM on Twitch at twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast. This is going to be great in like a year when people are like, what is, I, huh? I don't uh, understand. But it's fine. We put it on our YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Future people, go look up Total Party <laughs> Thrill on YouTube and you can watch the the replay. All right. Speaking of being, oh, I don't know, extremely confused, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime, in the frontier city of Meridian, the rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra, and Prophet. And the rogue traders have located the Eldar Spirit Chamber uh, in the heart of the Eldar Exodite Barrows, and Silva and Flare have used its choir chamber-like effect to contact the Spirit Seer and begin a ritual that will allow her to siphon out the souls from the world spirit and power her craft world's defense against the Tyranid fleet that attacks them. And right about now, all the rogue traders are thinking, was this worth it? Well, right about now, (laughs) you're probably thinking, oh, this is wonderful because you're seeing these psychic visions of your greatest desires manifest. Uh, Some of you even think... (laughs) <laughs> so naively that this is like a foretelling a, a prophetic vision of what you will become uh, i don't know trank's uh trank's uh, vision was pretty reasonable so <laughs> <laughs> he has manageable dreams uh-huh well those dreams are interrupted by a nasty wave of corruption that had the nice fun effect for the table of grinding halt to a play and prompting multiple corruption tests 
Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of D100 rolls and then random table lookups mm-hmm. to figure out exactly what terrible mutations you get. What gleefully delightful mutations you get. Well, Tranks are reasonable. Trank ends up with terrible night terrors. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when he sleeps, uh, it is more difficult to recover from his fatigue because he sees terrible visions. But, you know, <laughs> he's a soldier. Right. That's uh it's surprising he didn't already have those. It's like bunking with uh, the Dark Eldar Boson, that's all. Right. <laughs> uh Flare, the astropath, he gets palsy. That's <laughs> his thing. So he just loses more charisma that he never had to give. Yep, apparently in the grim darkness of the far future they've gone back to uh using old Victorian names for diseases. Well, I think it's just like <laughs> He has the vapors. <laughs> I mean, they've used Victorian dress. <laughs> yes, all those pauldrons. <laughs> uh, Echo ends up with a wasted frame, uh, which is fine because she's a sage, and I think she was expecting to replace many of her parts with uh, electronics and augmentics anyway. Well, not to be confused with Doc, who is mostly uh, mostly already augmentic parts at this point. Oh, yeah, uh, heretical augmentics. Yeah. Uh, Made with weird Xenos DNA. This is, I think, probably much to uh, the player Cameron's disappointment, but Doc actually passes this test. He will not be getting any gifts from (laughs) Zinch. Yet. So once the ritual is stable, the world spirit begins lashing out at them with its guardians. So magically stepping out of the reliefs that are carved into the walls, these four massive wraith guard and enter the chamber they're uh they're like kind of iconic looking um eldar heavy troops they're these hulking psi-mechanical guardians with like devastating strength in their cannons and in their um like massive power fists they have the like long like elongated heads that sort of remind you of like the xenomorph from aliens um but they're like these hulking tall sort of dreadnought sort of things um i guess twice the size of a man um as they step out uh and then spirits of the exodites that are in this uh you know like communing with the world spirit that are part of the world spirit also begin flooding into the chamber to try to disrupt this ritual and attack those of you who are essentially condemning them to death what they don't want their amish souls dragged back uh to the people they tried to escape so that they can be fuel to fight tyranids i don't get it oddly enough they do not well, we don't care. So a strange battle ensues uh, because the psychic energy that is awash in this chamber is distorting reality. So our two psychers have to actively sustain the, the uh, connection with the Farseer. But they do find that it is much easier to manifest their own psychic powers. Uh, what's, the, what's the drawback to that, though? Oh, they're once again um, bathed in corruption. <laughs> <laughs> and like the corruption is significant too like it's it's not like oh d5 here you know d3 there it's like d5 plus five corruption like, yeah on a scale of uh zero which is totally pure to 100 which is you are now an npc right yeah we're just uh we're, we're advancing the timeline you hadn't gotten enough corruption to date so we had to kind of <laughs> <laughs> get your corruption up to your stature uh, the spirits here is warning them to be careful but of course i think she's warned flair to be careful before about Mm -hmm. using the warp Mm -hmm. and corrupting himself and he Mm -hmm. has never listened previously nope uh even after getting corruption he did not listen so no reason that he would start now the wraith guard themselves are powered by the energy in the chamber which is ebbing and flowing as the ritual is continuing uh and it is alternately granting them strength or sapping them um, fortunately for you, you expected the Wraithguard manifestation, uh, and you were able to get a jump on the first two of these war machines that stepped out of the uh, stepped out of the walls. So, um, even with that advantage, though, the battle proves to be costly. I think multiple uh, rogue traders burned fate in order to survive. Trank lost an arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't all you lost, because uh, normally, like, Burning Fate is, you know, the Emperor's intervening on your behalf, you know, like some spark of uh, of divinity has looked out for you. Uh, in this case, whenever you're Burning Fate, you suffer corruption and insanity, uh, because at the moment of death, you instead see the face of a different, 
strange and alien god, uh, almost as if your fate is not your own. And we'll find out more about that next week. So this week, we are talking about mind reading. Yeah, this is something that can show up in almost any kind of uh, RPG, you know, mind reading, thought detection. I think aside from like gritty and realistic games, it it pops up um, in random places. Yeah, but it still kind of shows up as a like a non-magical convention, right? Like the the card sharp who knows what's in your hand before you do that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, using an uh, an actual mind reader, though, in a game does mean that you're pulling back the curtain on information that is supposed to be hidden, right? Like to use the card analogy, the you're getting a peek at the GM's hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think experienced GMs will know that a lot of the times the information that a player is requesting with their mind reading is, uh, it hasn't even been decided yet, right? It's like Schrodinger's information inside the NPC's head. Like if your scion is like, okay, I'm going to read the mayor's mind. I want to know his intentions. Now as a GM, you're like, crap, what are his intentions? I don't know. He's just the mayor. He doesn't even have a name. Well, his name is the mayor. Yeah. That's why I became the mayor. They named me Mayor McCheese as a baby. <laughs> right. So, yeah, once you once you have a player looking at those intentions directly, to respond, you have to kind of codify what those intentions are, even if you didn't necessarily have them specifically in mind going into it. You know? Yeah, you've collapsed the waveform. This is this is often a problem I find with published adventures where they're using this on an NPC who's kind of underdeveloped in the text, and you have to thread that line of making sure that you're not throwing out a false flag or a red herring that's going to distract the players because you know this mayor has weird intentions but also like keeps it interesting so that mind reading isn't just a checkbox to be like oh no 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 this is a gray box npc we don't need to worry about this yeah like i think traditionally doppelgangers in D are like cr2 you know you you come across them at level one and they just have the always on detect thoughts like read minds ability you know and everybody I think who's been who's played D anD D for any amount of time knows like the frustration of going up against a bunch of doppelgangers because they just always know what you're thinking. Like the the monster has the ability listen to table chatter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as like as like as a table as players, you're sort of planning out what you're doing. The doppelganger monster knows what you've decided. Right. But those aren't the only places that it that it shows up. Like even if you don't intend for mind reading to be a big part of uh, a campaign, you know, you don't usually build a campaign around mind reading. Uh, It'll show up in unexpected places. The doppelgangers, for example, were one of the main enemies in the Baldur's Gate video games. So they were just always there all the time. Whoa. Spoilers. Yeah, I know. Sorry for a game from 1994. That's just getting re-released on console for the first time. (laughs) It's about time. And I think it's from 98, jerk. Oh, no, it's earlier. It's got to no, be earlier than that. Neverwinter Nights was like 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Eberron, which, of course, we love, there are Rakshasas, there are Quarry, and all these can just like mead, read minds at will, right? They're probably the mid or end tier uh, villains of your campaign. And, you know, you're just, you're just hanging around with them and they're shape changers and mind readers. And, you know, too bad if you actually were trying to out- outwit them and fool them. December 21st, 1998. Was Baldur's Gate? Uh-huh. Wow. I know, right? So it's only been 21 years. Yeah, that's true. No no spoilers for a 21-year-old game. Also, Neverwinter Nights was released in 1991. Oh, that one, the one that no one played. Oh, no, no, no. It was played. It was the MMO that was released in... Uh, it was like Goldbox Neverwinter Nights um, released in conjunction with AOL. When I'm talking about the third edition Neverwinter Nights. No, I know what you're talking about. That was released yeah. in like 2000. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I know. But Neverwinter Nights. June 18th, 2002. Wow, we are doing a lot of Wikipedia searches. All right, so back to mind reading. Even creatures like Slotty. I don't know why Slotty can read minds. Whatever. Uh, Pixies, freaking Yugoloths can just do it at will all the time whenever the hell they want. Yeah, I mean, and then of course, anybody who can cast spells could potentially cast detect thoughts right it's the second level spell so 
um, low-level spellcasters in in any random town could potentially peruse the player's thoughts. Yeah, forget D and D. Every Jedi can just do it casually. It seems right, oh, but you it's just... morally reprehensible, so they don't do it for game purposes, as far as I can tell. Really? No. Uh, no. <laughs> I I do it all the time as a Jedi. <laughs> Uh, I make that guy rethink his life. Uh, I lie to that person over there. I somehow pilot for some reason because uh, the force makes me good at that. And uh-huh. also I read binds all the time. Yeah. So if you're if you have a dark side Jedi, obviously, like Sith tend to be difficult to trick or outmaneuver because they will just cheat and look at your hand. Uh, in any kind of sci-fi game, future tech can read brainwaves. Uh, you know, the, you're just throwing out in the air because you have a brain Mm -hmm. or mines in cyberspace are definitely vulnerable to hacking especially in you know something like eclipse phase where you actually have rules for hacking into other people's minds and i haven't seen this in a game yet but um you can have the inception effect right where dreams expose the psyche um and allow like vision or manipulation yeah, you got things like the the dream spell or if you can you know, travel into them or even view someone's dreams. Like even if you are a good liar, you are probably not as good at keeping on your game face in the middle of your own dream. Yeah. So a couple different ways that this ends up showing up in a game. But let's first talk about uh, playing or handling PCs who can read minds. And I think that the first thing to think about on either side of this is what is the opportunity cost of using this ability? Like, how easy is it for this character to, to read minds? Is it like a low-level skill check ability in a Star Wars game where you're just like, oh, you can figure out what people are thinking with a, a simple one-roll use the force check? Mm-hmm. Or are you spending like real actual spell slots? Like, yes, it is a level two spell in D&D to check thoughts, but that's still a spell that you have to spend, right? It's not a cantrip. Right. And this will give you a lot of guidance on how useful the information you get or how useful the ability actually is each time a character uses it. Yeah, so you look at the limits of the information that they can get. Um, A lot of times you're limited to surface thoughts, right? Which might mean asking them a question and then reading the first thing that pops to mind even while they're saying something else, Mm -hmm. right? Other spells like offer multiple saves if you want to try to dig deeper or um, listen longer, things like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could end up in a situation where, you know, if someone can casually read minds, I'm thinking like Deanna Troy on, on Star Trek, like she doesn't get a lot of information at first glance, you know? Oh, I can tell they're very angry. Well, yes, they are shooting at us. It makes sense that they're feeling very angry right now. I'm glad that their like inner monologue is matching this, this action that they're taking at us. Mm -hmm. I think it's, also an important question to know what it is that you're looking for or or at least have an idea of what it is you're looking for right like does this character need to go looking for something specific or can they just sort of like cast a wide net and fish around uh, and you know depending on what they're trying to do that can change the response of of the npc mm-hmm. so like if you're fishing around like if if you are attempting to read a mind uh, of of an npc and you don't have anything specific in mind. I mean, I, I've definitely seen this where, you know, you walk into the store and you're talking to the shopkeep and you're trying to get some information. You're just like, I don't really have a specific thing that I think the shopkeeper knows, but I want to I want to try out this ability or I just want to like see what kind of secrets the shopkeeper has in, in case they're helpful. Let's let's just fish around and find out. I just I just want to, you know, mess with the blue collar man. Yeah, why not? Or, you know, whatever, a noble that you're meeting for the first time. I think it's reasonable at this point for the GM to ask for some sort of check to be able to sift through all that information uh, or to like be able to do it carefully and or stealthily. Yeah, so that, that's like a signal to noise thing, not an access to the mind thing, right? Right, yeah, especially if you can just casually do it, right? Your Jedi walks into the most Isley cantina. Well, there's a lot of brainwaves here right now. Can you like narrow in on one person? Can you narrow in on useful information to you? Or are you going to get junk? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe you do have important information you, like, have that that they might offer. They already know that, like, there's, you know, I got this person alone. Uh, it's possible that the, the mind reading can be potentially damaging to the mind that's being sifted through. Or it could just be that you don't want them to notice that you're doing this. I also think it's important to avoid red herrings, especially if a resource is being spent to do this or a risk is being taken to do it, like... 
make sure that you're giving information to the players that can lead to more information. Um, at least like if they understand it can potentially be useful. Um, or at the very least, like doesn't completely cast them off down the wrong trail because they used an ability that is supposed to be useful. Yeah. Mind reading is definitely one of those abilities where like you can get into a situation where you don't want to like give away all of it. You don't want to like give away the secret. And now, you know, they, they know who done it in your murder mystery. But if you throw out intentionally misleading information, all that's going to happen is one or two sessions of just a wild goose chase. And that's not actually fun for anybody. Cause also the GM didn't plan for this. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times what you want to do here is like whatever trail of clues they were following is they mind read to get the next clue. Right, so if they were going to find the murder weapon, well, then this this PC like didn't get a good look at their face, but did get a great look at the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. Right, so they can just move on to the next stage, and now like all you've done is the presentation of the clue has changed. You haven't necessarily like you know shot your whole plan through the heart. Right, and like the person who's using the ability feels like it was actually useful. Yeah, exactly. And it was way faster and you didn't have to go anywhere. You were already here. And I didn't need to make a persuasion check because I suck at those. Right. Um, The GM here can offer information without context and then figure it out later. You know, we go back to the situation where someone is reading the mind of of the mayor and they want to know the mayor's intentions. You can you can make something up. You can come up with something relatively innocuous or relatively interesting, right? But just figure out the consequences of it of it later, right? All you're doing is sort of making one bit of information canon. Yeah, uh, this is also a good way to like immerse the setting um, in like in the context of a PC actually rolling to look for it, right? So if you're looking for the surface thoughts of the mayor or the shopkeep or the you know the bartender the tavern keeper like they might be worried about rumors of war in the north because mm-hmm. that's going to negatively impact each of them a little bit differently right versus you know maybe a merchant would be excited about that because war brings profits but like regardless like you can see the idea that oh interesting this isn't relevant to this murder mystery that we're on right now but like if there is war brewing in the north maybe it would be advantageous for us to go up there and see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, you're getting this from multiple people. And you're like, well, okay, one, I know it's true, right? Right. <laughs> like, oh, I, like, nobody likes the blacksmith. Yeah. Okay, be careful ab- around the blacksmith because they have a terrible personality. Um, it, it can also be um, a, a bit of information that they then have the capacity to learn more about, you know, a, a name, present the information without context. A name doesn't mean anything, but now you can go ask around about a particular name. Right. Um, you had said like the, you know, the the murder weapon, like they can get an image of the murder weapon or or a location, just a, a mill uh, standing on a hill by a beech tree. Right. What does that mean? I don't know. But when the party gets to a location and they're like, oh, look, it's a mill and a beech tree, they will recognize and be like, well, that's definitely a thing. You know, it wasn't useful at the time and, and maybe it didn't even exist at the time, right? But now now you have created uh, a signal for, for the party like this is going to be important. Yeah, I think you do have to be a little careful about offering information with no context because you don't want the, car- the players to assume it's relevant immediately. Right. Like you need to offer enough of an idea that like, oh, this is interesting information that definitely does not apply right now. <laughs> right. Like our goal should not be traipse off into the countryside and try to find this mill because it is the next step in the puzzle. Like make sure that they're continuing on their path and understanding this is extra information. Yeah. And this is actually a time when both the GM and the the player using this ability should sort of use clarifying information right here. You know, mm-hmm. like if if you were looking for a murderer and you get an image of a mill in a beech tree, the player should be saying things like, I mean, does, did it feel like they were thinking about the location of the, of the murder or like where a person lives? What, what is this? What is the context of this? Why is this important to them? You know, do I have that information right now? And the GM can be like, Oh no. Yeah. Sorry. From that context. Yeah. They were definitely, were not thinking, Oh, here's where the murder happened. Right. Like the image is not associated with like danger or anything like that. Right. You know, now, you could also be looking for something very specific uh, rather than just sort of fishing around. We've, and we've kind of touched on this already. Like, I want to know who killed this person. 
I think as a player, you're much more likely to get a straight answer out of your GM if you do ask a very specific question, right? Where are the hostages located? This is the information that I'm looking for. I don't actually care about their feelings. I don't care about Ward of the North because everyone's thinking about that right now, you know? Uh, I'm drilling down and sifting, only looking for what is the location of the hostages. Yeah, you might also get easier confirmation of a hunch or like validate some guesses or rule out some guesses um, that you've previously arrived at. Um, so, so an example is like, oh, I think this group is going to double cross us. Is that what they're thinking? Right. And the answer could be, yes, they are planning to double cross you or yes, they have thought about it, but they haven't decided yet. Right. Like whatever it is, like you're getting that specific information you're looking for, which is confirming or denying a hunch. Yeah. And this is this is a good kind of question to ask if your mind reading capabilities are limited, like uh, especially limited in use. Right. You know, if you have to use a spell slot for it, you don't want to just sort of use it when you have no idea if you're going to get something good. You know, you use your investigative skills, you you're, you know, making skill checks or you're you're just talking to people normally without you know, telepathy and and coming up with a few different options that you think are very plausible. And now you can just be like, hey, GM, we did all this work. Like, we've earned this. I'm going to use an actual spell slot. I'm going to read their mind. And I want to know, like, is it A or is it B? Because, like, we can't distinguish between the two of these. And then it's very reasonable for the GM to be like, yep, that you were exactly right. Or the thing you were worried about is, is definitely true. That is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you used this just recently in uh, in the Return to Morning Glory game. Actually, you remembered you could cast detect thoughts. Um, hold on. So I have an item that lets me cast detect thoughts. Yeah. But we also have like three hundred mind readers in our party. So why would I? I didn't forget. <laughs> I just had an opportunity to. And it worked out well. Is is this guy gonna gonna stab us uh, or what? Right. Nope, he's just delivering a package. He just wants to get paid, and he's going to leave as soon as that happens. <laughs> cool. All right. That's great. Great info. Um, again, you get a lot more mileage out of your mind reading if you are asking for clarifications. Um, we talked about the image, but also, you know, if you're getting an emotion from someone, hey, they're feeling angry right now. Okay. Why Why do I think they are feeling angry? Like, you know, if you're engaged in combat at the moment, then okay, they're probably mad at me right now. Right. But if it's the noble and they're angry about something, it really lets you sort of like drill down into, into the specifics. Like, are they mad at us because we didn't protect the caravan and we failed? Or do they not really care about that and they're angry because like the, the cargo is lost or is there something else like bigger going on right here? Right. So it can also be useful to tag team your like mental and spoken interrogation, right? So like like I said earlier, right? If you can read somebody's mind and you ask them a question point blank, right? They might not be trying to think about it, but they might flash the correct answer before they tell you the lie kind of in their surface thoughts. You know, the sort of like, don't say it was the queen. Don't say it was the queen. It was the prince, Right. It gives you another thing to like line up the data and be like, well, those definitely don't match. Right. Uh, there are also many different games where you might have a character with passive mind reading who just either is extremely powerful or just has a, a low, low level ability to sort of casually pick up the surface thoughts of, of people nearby. This is a really convenient route for the GM to give information to the party. If you have the mind reading PC and they, they just pick up a random stray thought. Mm-hmm. Um don't typically throw it out unless it's going to be important or useful or interesting uh, because obviously, you know, it can easily become that red herring. Uh, you can also have a, an NPC show up who like knows that this character is a mind reader and they just think directly to them to pass along information in a way that pretty much nobody else is going to be able to find out about. You can also treat it as like having baseline competency in like an insight or a gather information or like a carouse kind of skill Um, because you would get you would presumably get the same kind of information out of just passively picking it up. Right. So you might not have to go to a tavern and buy drinks for the sailors to uh, to learn what's going on in the docks. But if you just take a casual stroll through the docks, you will learn the same information most likely. Yeah, this is a nice way to sort of let somebody be a mind reader without having it have like an overwhelming 
a mechanical effect on the power level of the character. Mm-hmm. You know, if if it is basically just, yeah, you make like a, it basically gives you like a passive insight score of 15. You know, it's pretty good. You can, right. you can pick up a lot about people and you may even get bits of information that no one else would be able to pick up, but it's relatively low level and it's, it's when I, I find it really useful or when you are saying specifically, I'm using this thing that I invested in, give me something useful. Right. Or flip side is like you make the role to, to again, parse the information, right? If it's passive, you're just getting so much information and you've got to filter out what you're looking for. So you make some different kind of skill role that isn't available to the other characters, um, but still has a chance of failure. Yeah, exactly. Um, Great. You get a lot of like esoterica from their brain because you're scanning the wizard. Uh, Either you can make an arcana check or maybe you can like make a a dex check or make some sort of research roll or whatever to draw as much of that as you can and like hand it to your party sage and be like, here's what I got. I have no idea what this is. Yeah. We're we're kind of doing that in in Band of Blades, actually. One of the specialists is a sniper who has like a magic eye, an alchemical eye that can see magical effects, but he has zero skill in in magic whatsoever. He has no idea what he's actually looking at, so he has to describe it to the doctor. Right. (laughs) The other thing is just keep in mind that like the most passive thoughts that people have are about their immediate surroundings and the weather, Mm -hmm. right? It's Mm -hmm. like, when I'm walking down the street, the thing I am most hyper aware of is how much I'm sweating right now <laughs> like, <laughs> or how cold I am at that moment, you know, like, or like very like rote observations about the things around me. So like people aren't just brimming with valuable thoughts at the top of their heads, like constantly. Um, so it does have kind of a timing aspect to how valuable those types of things are. Yeah. And this is a nice way to use it in conjunction with like all of your other abilities or like the the abilities of the rest of the party, right? So it doesn't just become about the mind reader. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, uh, someone's knee is hurting because of the weather. Well, that's an in for the rogue or the bard to go up and like complain about the weather and like their old war wound, you know? Yep. Now, you do want to be careful with this kind of stuff because if you end up spilling information that there really isn't any way for anyone to have known, that can cause a lot of problems. Like you're, it's pretty easy to get accused of being a witch. Yeah, so think consequence-wise of, like, do the NPCs know that their mind is being read? Mm-hmm. And or that like that's a thing that, that can happen, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, and if they do know, well, I mean, that changes the whole dynamic, especially, like, in interrogation. I think a high-level interrogation, most uh, most nobles will be told, like, they can read your minds, there are spells that can read your minds. Like, if they ask you a question, <laughs> don't think of the thing that mm-hmm. is true first, right? Like, clear your mind, don't think of anything. All there is is the lie, right? Right. Um, but if someone has realized that either their mind is being read uh, or that the party has information that they don't want out, and, and actually, it may be that the party gets no information, right? Mm-hmm. But the person whose mind that they tried to read doesn't necessarily know that the party got no information. And often, they'll jump to the worst possible conclusion. Like... Okay, you wanted to know where I was going to send like these grain sacks, but <laughs> I think you might know that like I I killed a guy, and like now what am I willing to do in order to keep that secret? Right. Yeah. You might turn, you might turn a like a bystander into an enemy over an unrelated issue mm-hmm. caused by mind reading. Right. Right. Like they could have been a very reasonable, normal person, but how far will they go to keep their deepest, darkest, worst secret? A secret. And exactly. for most people, that's actually really, really far. And whether or not you have the secret, <laughs> right. the risk of exposure is enough. Right? It's, like actu- it's actually worse if you don't have it because they're like, tell me the thing. Tell me that you're like, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. You're like, you're lying to me. And I can't let you read my mind because my secrets suck too. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, if mind reading is a thing that your party is doing often, then your enemies will begin to take precautions. Um, either they're going to like find... Um, you know, magic items or, or whatever that protect them. Like Magneto has a big dumb helmet mm-hmm. because his best friend was Charles Xavier who reads minds. So how do we use mind readers as antagonists in our games? Consider what are the limits of their ability to read minds. Do they need to be in person? That makes things a lot easier uh, for the party. Uh, do they need some sort of like psychic connection with a person? Do they need to have met you before or, or no? Can they do it from long distance? 
Uh, if it turns out that they can actually control your thoughts too, then check out episode 168 we did on mind control a while back. That was a year ago. That, that feels like yesterday. <laughs> I can't believe we've been doing this show this long. So in terms of enemies, enemies who can read minds are great for laying traps ahead of time. If you can read minds, you have plenty of information that's useful for blackmail. Uh, you know who your enemy's loved ones are. You know what weaknesses they have, what vices they give into. Um, you know if they plan to double cross a benefactor or you know betray an oath or something like that. Right. Uh, this is why I didn't make a character with any loved ones or family. Duh, we're dealing with mind readers and they would know where they are. Right. Uh, I also think like in a game... Mind-reading enemies are best kept on the sidelines, at least at first, right? They work really well as a leader or a manipulator of lesser enemies, the ones that the party is going up uh, against at first. Uh, or they work really well if they have their own goals that could be aligned with either the main enemy of the campaign or the party itself. You know, they can potentially play both sides. Yeah, I like I like the hired mind-reader a lot more uh, because they are a threat to all parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and a potential asset right exactly but you know like it's a question of how far can you trust them and and how much do you trust their investment in the cause versus the investment in the coin um how loyal are they to their boss sorry is the cause not the coin i don't understand i mean (laughs) my presence is my present (laughs) i'm not a businessman i'm a businessman Uh, mind readers are a lot more interesting in the game if they can be bargained with i think Uh, basically Yeah, they have information. You want information. They're the perfect people to go talk to without a sword. Yeah, first. I mean, this is this is why Yugoloths can read minds, right? Like, right. they're the ultimate bargainers. Yep. Uh, mind readers are also at their strongest when they can, in some way, leverage the thoughts of the party that they have been able to glean. Uh, like, they they tend to be weaker or they, they lose when they are attacked head on. Like... Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you have found them in their lair and, like, you're rushing at them with swords drawn, like, they don't need to read minds to know that you're about to kill them. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a moot point now. Uh, but if you want, I do like the idea of giving combat bonuses to a mind reader because they can, you know, read your intentions. Kind of like a master swordsman can read your form and knows, like, where you're going to attack. They just read your mind and, and know where you are intending to attack. Right. There's also the um, the sort of middle ground where you're neither a PC nor an enemy. You know, you're you're an NPC with mind reading abilities, um, and not one that is necessarily going to antagonize the party directly. Yeah, I like that. You know, you've wandered into the Feywild, and you know you happen upon a, a bunch of pixies, and oh oh no, pixies can do crazy shit, and are they going to attack us? Nope, they're just reading our minds and blurting out embarrassing secrets in front of everybody. Because that's what pixies do. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> how are you not blushing with these awful thoughts running through your mind right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> Have they told you how they feel about you? Exactly. Because I'm about to. Uh, and then you can also just be a you know a a speed bump antagonist, right? Like the psychic blackmailer who's just looking to get paid and and doesn't care that you know you're on a quest to save the world or or you know you really have a more important things you need to be doing. Um, you're going to need to handle me in some way, like get rid of me, deal with me, uh, kill me or pay me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like the NPC asset that has some limitation that prevents them from being used in the field, right? So whether that is like a machine that causes mind reading or a like a housebound NPC, something like that. Um, yeah, um, Cerebro in, in the X-Men uh, comics, you know, Professor X has to go like sit in it and it's a giant dome that can't go anywhere oh right yeah um there's also like in uh in the garrett pi series like it's a fantasy detective and there is a you know a mind reader available who lives with him but he has to get his quarry into his house in order to have their minds (laughs) read um and so like turns out the watch captains aren't willing to walk into his house (laughs) you know things like that makes perfect sense uh, I put all my points into mind reading, not self-defense. Right. So I'm definitely not going adventuring. Well, that's actually so. Uh, <laughs> the partner is dead. <laughs> They're, uh, they stay psychically active for like millennia after they die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they call him the dead guy. <laughs> 
Um, all right. So if you are in a party and you are going up against mind readers, there are some good tactics that you can use. We already talked about this. Attack head on. Like find out what you're going to do and then be blunt and do the obvious thing. You you know, you're not going to trick mind readers, but there's nothing about reading your mind that is going to help them if you just kick in their front door and start stabbing. Yeah, there's a there's a violence of action benefit, right? Where the longer they have to to be exposed to your potential planning, the more complicated it needs to be. So fast, sudden, and simple is the best way to deal with them. Yeah, this is a great opportunity for everyone to just point at the the barbarian with like six intelligence and be like, I think you're in charge of this mission. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Until that point, though, of course, it's a good idea to keep your distance. Um, There's generally a proximity component to this. So if you can stay outside of range, you can keep your thoughts safe while you plan accordingly. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, if you do end up in proximity, then at least you know the things you were probably thinking about or you might have a good idea of what was gleaned from you and then you get away as soon as you can uh, and and then sort of deal with the fallout from there. Right, right. Uh, and then lastly, get mental protection. There are definitely magic items in D&D, for example, that keep your thoughts from being read. Uh, there are class yeah. abilities. Brain condoms. Yeah, well, you put them on at all times. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. they're made of tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly non-porous. Strange. Um, and this can come in any form, right? It doesn't need to be codified in the game system that you're playing. Like, as players, you can just be like, hey, GM, like, we want to research a thing that, you know, can protect our brains from this kind of stuff. What do we do? And it might turn out that it actually is tinfoil hats. Uh, <sighs> or it could be, you know, mental training at a particular monastery in, in one location. I mean, with... Uh... With our group's luck, like it'll be something that's horrendously unfashionable, and at least one character is unwilling, completely unwilling, to even uh, to even consider wearing it. Oh, absolutely! I mean, <laughs> I do actually love when fashion considerations trump everything else. No, fashion uh, considerations are everything. It's the worst part <laughs> of every game that my character can't look the way I want them to. <laughs> like, I hate having to choose mechanics over something rad. I mean, sometimes you choose mechanics over uh, shooting yourself in the own f- in your own feet. Like uh, in Morning Glory 2, like all of you have basically cloaks of protection, but you also know that they let people spy on you. And all of you have been like, no, I'll take the plus one AC and saving throws. Our characters don't know that they spy on us. No, you do now. You oh. found out. Okay. And everyone was like, we keep them. Well, I'm glad that everyone else found out. I don't think I'll be keeping mine. Oh, Okay. <laughs> All right, a few caveats when dealing with or using mind readers. First one is make sure that you're not undermining skills or other like casual abilities that normal people have, like insight or tactical skills. You you don't want mind reading to become um, like an all-encompassing ability that lets you basically do everything like the Force sometimes becomes in some Star Wars games. Yeah, yeah, it's not the... uh... You don't want mind reading to become a crutch. You want it to remain a tool. Yeah, and it works really well hand-in-hand with those other abilities and especially the abilities of other party members who can't read minds. Like, give information to other people with it or allow them access to information they couldn't get otherwise, but that then needs to be interpreted or used um, or, like, planned upon by other people in the party so that people don't actually go, uh, I wish I had that ability instead of the one that I have. It's... I'm so glad they have that ability because it makes mine better too. Yeah. Um, You also want to avoid like all according to plan type of responses, um, especially if the players are not using mind reading as a crutch, right? Like you don't want to punish them by being clueless for using their ability and not having full control of the narrative the way the GM does. Like unless they're using it as a crutch, in which case, enemies should start planning for that and start tricking them with their mind reading yeah and if you're dealing with like uh, mind reading bbegs then the first time that the party thinks they've succeeded and haha it turns out that the bbeg read their minds and like knew what was coming it's interesting and tells them information now they know they they know what to plan for ahead of time but like the third time it happens you're just like why are we even bothering with this like we obviously can't beat them who cares yeah, that's that's what my uh, what my Mario did after the third level. 
<laughs> the princess is in another castle. Well, this is pointless. I quit. <laughs> Look, I'm going to try the last castle, okay? They, <laughs> I'm just going to go to world eight. Yeah. <laughs> and if she's not there, I don't care anymore. Look, my hopes and dreams are telling me where they're going. I'm going to meet up with them later. <laughs> uh, and then uh, a tip for GMs. If you have uh, characters who can read minds relatively casually, just like just like you would write down a bunch of names for NPCs when someone randomly asks what is their name, have some like inner quirks or personality traits or even like awful secrets on hand to assign to this random NPC when someone asks and tries to read their mind. Yeah, the I think the most boring like secret on hand is the like cheating on the spouse or like lusting after somebody because it's just like it's it's so tired and it just feels like okay, cool, that's a throwaway line, you know, like right. No one's like, oh, we need to investigate that, but it is right. potential leverage, right? So it's just like it's just perfunctory. Um, it's way more interesting if you come up with some like location or setting or event related secrets that would actually like enrich the world right like something like you know uh, a secret is that they have taken out uh, too much of a loan on the tavern and they might lose it to a money lender like that is completely a quirk and the pcs will almost certainly ignore it the moment you you dangle something shiny in front of them but like oh hey remember like this is a living world and there are two npcs here who have a relationship and it's not our problem but it is interesting yeah and it lets you uh introduce plot hooks that the that the players are pretty sure they can take or leave right like the tavern keeper needs a bunch of money well if we like got a horde after killing that young dragon i don't know maybe we throw him 10 gold and like that actually saves the tavern and like we feel good about that or or maybe we don't and then there are consequences of that and we like see him lose the tavern yeah and it gives you like maybe even just like an interstitial like narration as you're leaving the location right of like the epilogue of things that you took care of as you were headed out the door kind of thing you know mm-hmm. it's just like it gives you a little more detail that's a little more interesting than like okay cool the story that we've heard before like our most base instinct great like, why have the list then, you know? Right. So to wrap this up, uh, I think it, mind reading really works best if it can contribute to the the sense that, like, the, this is a real person whose mind you are reading, and they are part of a, a real world where, you know, their relationships and, and all these other things actually matter, uh, and that when you read a mind, it is useful in some manner. Yeah, I think the a good rule of thumb is to give as much information as to keep your plot moving forward. And since games tend to be investigating plots, uh, whether that investigation is in the form of what's in the dungeon or it's who is the murderer or who is involved in this conspiracy or whatever, like you're always looking for more information. Like mind reading is just a way to get information, find some reasonable limit to what they can, to why it would stop at that amount. Yeah. I think there's a tendency sometimes to feel like it's cheating in some way, but it's an ability that a person took and therefore didn't take a different ability. Right. right. <laughs> like let people have fun with it. And yep. as a GM too, like you can definitely have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's so it's also that weird GM shorthand, right? Of like I always struggle to convey like the emotional complexity of my NPCs <laughs> because they only get to say three things and they often don't even get to answer their name. Like, oh wait, but now you get all the range of emotional depth that you want because this idiot player asked for it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Guess what? Now I'm reading you their backstory. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? It's definitely not the queen. She definitely didn't do it. All right. Well, let's move on to the character creation forge and figure out who's going to exonerate her. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. 
Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Do you want to learn the secrets of elven magic? Do you want to blast your enemies with battle magic? I absolutely do want to do all of those things. Do you want to build cunning mechanical servants with clockwork magic? Yes, I'm very excited for that, actually. Do you want to support Kickstarter United by following their instructions and continuing to support good actors on their platform? Yes, that I want to do. I also want to learn about time magic and room magic and illumination with deep magic from Cobalt Press for 5th edition. Which is now on Kickstarter. I've bungled this. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's more than 575 new and compiled spells by the best in the business, including Wizards of the Coast staffers and A-list freelancers. So in this supplement from uh, from Cobalt Press, you'll find new magic schools, sorceress origins, warlock patrons, a bunch of feats, spells, some magic items, and a ton more content for D&D. Hey, it's already fun and on Kickstarter. It is blasting through its stretch goals. And you can check it all out at koboldpress.com. So this week, Shane, we are building Johnny Mnemonic. Did you ever see that movie? I, well, now that you say movie... <laughs> I'm wondering what I'm thinking of because I thought Johnny Mnemonic was a cartoon. I, and maybe, I know it's maybe not there Johnny was a Bravo. cartoon. It, w- it was Keanu Reeves, right? I mean, he didn't, obviously didn't voice a cartoon. Uh, why is that obvious? He's voicing a video game. Which one? Uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, well, these days people do video games. In 1995, A-list celebrities, and he was A-list at the time, uh, didn't do video games. Right. Okay, so... Who is Johnny Mnemonic? Because I clearly don't know. Uh, he is originally from a William William Gibson uh, short story and then uh, a movie later, played by Keanu Reeves. He's a thought courier in a cyberpunk dystopian future where data is very valuable but also easily stolen uh, through cyberspace and, and hacking and all of that. So the way to transport it is you upload it into a person's mind. They physically go to a location and then it is downloaded out of their mind oh interesting mm-hmm. uh is, yeah. is he aware of the information he's carrying uh no typically no like however he did he did lose his childhood in order to free up enough space to be a courier oh wow yeah and now he's trying to uh he's doing one last job to get enough money for the operation to get his childhood back uh-huh you know 1995 right <laughs> okay so what's the build it is Great Old One, Pact of the Tome, Warlock 11, Thief Rogue 9. All right. From Warlock, we'll obviously get a bunch of invocations. Uh, which ones are we going to be taking here? Uh, I like Mask of Many Faces, which, well, okay. So Johnny Mnemonic is like a mostly regular dude. He has good hand-to-hand combat skills. Um, Wait, and- how is that a regular dude then? <laughs> For a cyberpunk future, he's a regular dude. Okay, uh, but he, he was also like it. Um, it's insinuated that he was a pretty good thief ahead of time. So you want to be able to like break into mega corporations, steal information, and then you know uh, move it so that you can uh, sell it to someone else. And one very helpful thing would be mask of many faces, the invocation that lets you cast disguise self at will. Mm. One with shadows lets you become invisible if you are in dim light. Also at will. And Trickster's Escape uh, will let you cast Freedom of Movement once per day. Pact of the Tome gives you your selection of cantrips. Aside from the Warlock ones, you can pick things like Guidance, which is always great. And then definitely take Encode Thoughts, which is a Ravnica wizard-only cantrip that lets you uh, turn a memory into basically like a tangible magical ribbon that you can hand to another person who can then like read it. So you're basically like downloading and then uploading a thought. Mm. It, it's also a, a memory that you stick in a pensive in Harry Potter. That's, right. that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of course, take Green Flame Blade. Why wouldn't you? Uh, as a great old one warlock, you will also get access to telepathy, which will be handy for passing those thoughts and communications back and forth. And then you'll get six level spells, things like Detect Thoughts, Charm Person, um, Hypnotic Pattern, and Synaptic Static are both good and thematic. And then at level, like at sixth level, the spell that I would take would be Soul Cage, which you I would reflavor here. It's a, when a person dies, when a humanoid dies, you can capture their soul and then use it for several uses, uh, you know, gain some hit points or whatever. But one of those things is you basically ask the soul a question about information it knew in life and it must answer truthfully wow. so to my mind this is basically kill somebody download their brain take it with you and then upload the information later 
Right. So from Rogue, we'll get four expertises. Sounds like we should be taking Arcana, Insight. You said he was a pretty good thief, so maybe Stealth and uh, maybe Thieves Tools. Mm. Uh, He'll get a 5d6 sneak attack and all the Rogue goodies, Cutting Action, Uncanny Dodge, Evasion. He's very hard to pin down. You'll also get Fast Hands, uh, which lets you use an item as a bonus action. A very good team-friendly ability Yeah. uh, for potioning up your wounded friends. Second story work, uh, which lets you climb at full speed, and Supreme Sneak, which lets you sneak at full speed? Uh, you get advantage on stealth when moving half speed. Ah, But, okay. of course, you have cunning action, so like half speed is full speed. Right, yeah. <laughs> so for leveling order, I'd start out Rogue 2 to get those juicy skills, Warlock 5 for third level slots, Rogue 6 for more expertises, and then finish off Warlock. All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So a couple weeks ago, we mentioned that we're getting close to the um, Forgotten Realms campaign setting episode. uh, And the Discord decided that one of the pure joys of our show is the uh, struggle, the disdain that I have for having to do anything <laughs> according to the Patreon and especially for having to work with Forgotten Realms. I love Forgotten Realms. Yeah, I do it too. Is, I, I'm looking forward to it. My Please. favorite setting. You know what I love about it? I love that uh, everything's filled in for you and you can't really make up stuff on your own without uh, rejecting canon. Yeah, that's, I, that's one of my favorite things. Um, mm-hmm. I also really like that... Um, Everybody is like nice and sectioned off in thematically appropriate areas across the map. Um, oh, so oh, like, oh, you mean like fake Asia? Uh huh. You've got fake Asia. You've <laughs> got fake sub-Saharan Africa. You've yeah. got fake, you know, uh, jungle appropriated cultures. It's great. It's the best. Oh, also, uh, it's nice that there are very high level NPCs everywhere. That is just lousy with nineteenth and thirty seventh level NPCs who hang out with literal gods. Oh, yeah, and that they're very active so they can do or undo anything that you would like. So you don't really have to worry about the stakes of your uh, campaign getting too too far out of whack with the setting. Like, it can always just get fixed. Well, that's definitely going to be the next game that we play, I think. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, yes. if you'd like to hear us dote some more on <laughs> Forgotten Realms in our campaign setting episode, and also maybe talk about some Realms lore that we'll definitely learn from Wikipedia beforehand. I know all ab- about the... Pikel Boulder Shoulder. Yep. Right? Yeah, right? <laughs> sure. I think I'm getting there. <laughs> well, I only know video games. Okay. Well, I know that Boo was a giant miniature space hamster, and he might as well be a god in Forgotten Realms in my eyes. Always went for the eyes. Very smart. That's, oh, min- that's the, the first tenet of the Gospel of Boo. Yeah. Go for the eyes. He, he was taught by St. Minsk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about campaign prep. And in the character creation forge, we're building Beatrix Kiddo. Well, that's it for episode 222 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Synthbard. Are you looking for an excuse to revisit classic D&D? in your ears well with custom composed soundtracks synthbard breathes new life into first edition era adventure modules shane in college did you ever do that thing where you put on the wizard of oz and then also dark side of the moon at the same time uh in college there was a local theater uh in athens georgia that would do that like they would screen it and like sync that sync that for you so i never did it but i did attend a showing Great. I think I think that counts. That's fine. Well, Synthbard has taken old modules like Tracy and Laura Hickman's Ravenloft, like the original Ravenloft, and then made soundtracks for it that that you can play as ambient music while you're running these modules. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's a very synth theme. Like, so it has that kind of retro feel to it, right? Like, I, 
I mean, I was kind of into like synth and new wave uh, in the eighties when these modules came out, and it, it has that very like. Weren't you born um, in nineteen eighty nine? Yeah, but I have older sisters. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so it has that feeling of like that retro throwback, right? It's not like the epic music of like a Hans Zimmer score. It's like the kind of like low key, um, almost like early video game music, right? But not eight bit, just synth. Um, so it's it's cool. It's like it's it's great. It's evocative for the the various pieces of these modules. Right. So like the Ravenloft um, soundtrack is two CDs. They've got one for Beyond the Crystal Cave, which is three CDs and thirty five tracks. You get a track for every single encounter in the original adventure module, a uh, as well as a variety of like pastoral, mystical, and natural musical pieces. I like this because we've definitely done the thing where we've been like, all right, bring up like you know random D and D epic playlist on Spotify or whatever. Just in yeah, the my Spotify is f- now. Yeah, and. <laughs> It'll be fine for a while and you'll get like, the, I don't know, the Lord of the Rings Helms Deep music and that's fine. But it turns out like we're sort of sitting in town and nothing epic is happening at all. But then we will be in the middle of like the big climactic battle of the session and suddenly Hobbit music comes on. Mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> we're fighting Hobbits, obviously. So Right. <laughs> I mean, because we, we're going to exterminate this problem. <laughs> thought these were gnomes. I don't know. So each album comes with a supplementary booklet that provides additional descriptions for the adventure modules. And true to form, each booklet ends with appendices that uh, offer suggestions on ways to use the tracks in your own campaigns. So both digital and print versions of these soundtracks are available at synthbar.com. <laughs> 